That's right. What's up, everybody? Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to This Week in Mormons, the single greatest Latter-day Saint news-focused niche podcast perhaps ever created. Is that hyperbolic to state? I don't think it is. Glad to be here with all of you. It's been a long time. I'm Jeff Openshaw. And I'm Jared Gillins. Yeah. Who who knew? Who knew? Just a few months later that we'd be back and... Well, you know, we, we yeah. were it, it had been a while a coup since, against Kurt. It had been a while since you and I had really gotten together to have our own echo chamber and publish it to other people. And so I've just I've I've needed that in my yeah. life. Now now because I'm sure Kurt, of course, the proprietor of this week in Mormons, has undoubtedly grown this show exponentially. There's a strong likelihood seventy five percent of you have no idea who I am, right? Or Jared for that matter. So uh True. Yeah. So just in some weird, if you don't, I'm Jeff Openshaw. I'm the founder of This Week in Mormons. And then I stopped with it. I gave it to Kurt. I said, this is, this is my gift to you. I thought this you sold it. And I heard it was like a, like a big, like it was almost like a Twitter acquisition level. Dude, it was like, like a dope tax write-off. Let me tell you, can't wait for that return this year. It's going to be lit. <laughs> just, just some fry sauce. It's going to be awesome, man. So and, uh, just to give a little context, I'm Jared Gillins. Yeah. Who was I was just occasionally a co-host, maybe about once a month, and then no, you're some, pretty cons- you're pretty consistent. Yeah, about once a month, I'd, I'd come on. You know, Jeff had a rotation of loyal, uh, echo chambery co-hosts that he'd bring on to to just make sure <laughs> we built up his ego and didn't challenge yes. him in any way. Yes, um, yes. So I'm one of those, exactly. and I guess I uh, massaged his ego well enough that he invited me back, particularly for this comeback episode. Yeah. Don't call it a comeback. Here we are. It's uh, so it's fun to. I I'm rusty though, man. Being out doing it for like 13 years, and then stopping and enjoying the past many months of not doing it. I'm, I hope I still have the mojo about me. How long has it been? When did you when did you stop? It was the well, end of September. I was gonna say it seems right. like Octoberish. Was. Yeah, it was because it was it was before conference. We didn't get in like a conference recap. That, that's and that's why that. I remember because yeah. I remember being like, oh, we're not doing a conference recap episode because. Jeff doesn't have it this was, show anymore. It was kind of right up on it. We announced the changeover. We still published Temple Predictions, which were like, at this point, I don't even know what you can predict with that, with President Nelson. He's just doing whatever he wants. Just throw so. darts at the non-blue areas of a map and you could, you know. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, it's, so it's, uh, it's been a little while. Good few months, though, you know. We had our baby girl. That was great. Good What's, times. Yeah. She's doing, she's she's doing, doing right. fine. And, I got to enjoy some. your wife's called- doing well, too. Yeah, yeah, Daniel's doing fun, you know, just getting through all that. And, Are the boys uh, enjoying being big brothers to a little sister? Yeah, thankfully, number three has not had any weird issues with it. That's the one you always worry about, mm-hmm. but he's been mostly fine. Yeah. Um, I, I did something called paternity leave, which oh. was inter- which was very exciting. You have I, that. that. That happens in the United States. I didn't know that. Here and there. My, my company is cool, man. So I like, took a month off. I didn't know, so I took a month off and started a a couple of day project to refresh our powder room on the main level, which I'm still working on. Yes. A couple of days later. It's always something. And uh, someday we'll get it where it's close. I don't know. Cool. Yeah, man. How's your life been? Uh, it's good. I joined a choir, which is fun. Like it's a community choir. It's not 
you know, church based, although it's is, Eastern is Idaho. It most, is it mostly? Yeah, I was going to say we have our rehearsals in a LDS chapel, but <laughs> but the, the the director he's is LDS, but he's just he's the a, a choir director at uh, high school in Rigby, and he just wanted to you know make a community choir. And uh, my sister in law and brother in law are good friends with him, and they said, Jared, you you should go hmm. check this out. And I've been enjoying it. I haven't been in like a serious like non-ward choir for like, well, since high school, really since. Yeah. So it's been a little bit of a, you know, trying to get my choir. I don't even know. Just trying to, you know, get, get back into that kind of a mode, but I've enjoyed it. And it's been like a nice way. I, I, you know, make music with people and get to know and meet new people. And so that's, that's the big thing in my life. I'm, I'm a choir boy again. Do the uh, do the millennial choirs have a presence in Eastern? Are you familiar with the oh yeah formerly Mormon choral organization? But then they got really so, big. they ironically yeah. stopped being called Mormon because the church asked them to, and then the church, sure. <laughs> like now why would the church actually care if they reverted? I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, I I uh, let me think. I know one of Kelsey's uncles and like an aunt and uncle are in that are in a millennial choir. But I think they actually live down in Utah. I don't think we have any branches of the Millennial Choir up here. So. I think there's one. In, I think there is one actually in Boise oh, over there. But maybe there's nothing. Which is maybe. funny. Why, like, I mean, there's members there, but I wasn't not. even aware of it until like you know Kelsey's parents were like, "Hey, we, we should tune in and watch this Millennial Choir concert performance." You know, they, they, it's not even a concert. It's like a highly edited video experience, but it's good. Like, they sounded awesome. Put that they, on the DVD. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, highly so, edited video experience. <laughs> but, you know, I'm sorry. I did not mean to say that in a way that was disparaging. It's cool. Like, they sound great, and they choose these really cool settings to film their performances. And I was, like, just, you know, just impressed with the whole thing. But I wasn't even aware of it until I married into a family where one yeah. of the uncles was, was a part of it. So, no, <laughs> I am not part of a millennial choir. I am The, the choir is called the Eastern Idaho Chorale. Eastern Idaho Chorale. So... That's uh, and it's a community choir. We do sing some kind of religious songs, but there's also like we're singing songs that are based off of the poetry of Yeats and a couple others, and it's great. Also, I like also it. Also, some Disney hits, right? I'm I'm really hoping you're singing mm. uh, in summer from Frozen. I in think that would be summer. That would yeah. be a nice addition. Yeah. I have the 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 solo one. You yeah. get the solo out there. You just Josh Gad it up. <laughs> yes, Josh Gad's best role though is Bear Claw, a new girl by far. Oh, I never, deep, I never got into the girl. Sorry, it's a bit of diminishing returns, but the first couple of seasons are pretty darn funny. Mm-hmm. You should go for it. Ah, so what is it? Twenty twenty three? Is that what year we're in right now? Yeah, yeah. The year when things finally turn around, dude. The weirdest thing, man. I mean, it's it's January now. We're going to be on the third anniversary of stuff shutting down because of COVID, and of course, long time listeners know you and I have. Have blown a lot of hot air about COVID over the past couple of years, a whole lot. Um, that's just crazy. I don't. It's not that I, I think. Thankfully, overall, it's a better situation, at least for a lot of a lot of us in certain Western communities. I mean, China is getting its butt kicked right now since the government just out of nowhere is like, "Yeah, we're done with the whole no COVID thing." They, they did. They laid. I listened to a fascinating foreign policy podcast this week on China, just doing a random about face and just stopping. Um, they don't call it no COVID. What was the what was the Chinese term for it? I'm blanking on it right now. Was you know, China zero had, COVID. Or? Zero COVID. You know, they had a policy of no. just like, I mean, people in China were swabbing their noses like every day. Oh, and yeah. then one day the government just said, that's it. 
No more. Don't worry no. about it. And now like cat, like everyone's infected. It's crazy. Which is I, had a, I have a friend who was in um, Beijing with state, you know, in foreign service. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. his take on it was he's like, he's, he, yeah, he thought the whole zero COVID thing was like, it was he to him. And I don't want to totally misconstrue what he said, but, my, it, it, you know, he said it was, it felt less about actually contributing to public health and more about just exercising the full weight of their state power yes. and it was most anyway. initiatives are about government control in any country so i don't i don't fair. know about that no, but, yeah, that makes sense uh, but but he said you know because he, he said it would just be like the smallest thing like you know it's, it's like remember in in dc when they'd predict three inches of snow and they'd just be like shut it down <laughs> shut down the government it's like, the worst he that. said that's what like that's what that it was it was kind of like where it was like there'd be like one confirmed case and they'd be like, shut it down. Yeah. Everyone's on lockdown. And he's like, you know, he's like, this doesn't, this isn't helping anyone. <laughs> for a, yeah. For an area. I mean, that like get snow, like this isn't Minnesota, but like we get snow. It's funny how much we're like never prepared when there's actually snow here. Well, as well, this isn't Atlanta. As I, Atlanta just loses its its mind when it snows there. Well, that makes sense. Is, yeah, but and, uh, I was explaining. I was talking to somebody about this today, actually, and I was like, "Well, you see, the metro, they do have de-icing cars that can clear snow off the tracks." And he's like, "That's good." And I said, "Unfortunately, they don't work if there's more than six inches of snow to clear." And he's like, "Oh, that makes no sense." Like, correct, that makes no sense. <laughs> so, but if your system is limited to being able to let people get home safely uh up to eight six inches of snow it kind of makes sense that you just shut things down when, yeah. when when there's a threat of more than that so i mean on one upside though i did some study in D- counties in the dc area have the highest rates of people still teleworking like in the country which makes sense i mean yeah. government of all things has been kind of like yeah all right we can do this now I well i'm a government contractor yeah. and i'm working for idaho falls so. yeah did you guys actually move before covid uh, like no, we first, moved during COVID. You moved we, during even yeah. your first move there, right? Yeah. Yep. Every time we stopped at a gas station, I masked up and we had lots of hand sanitizer in the car. And it was funny. The farther west we got, the fewer masks I saw <laughs> in those gas stations. <laughs> Wyoming, there was zero. Zero masks. <laughs> and baby. Woo. Yeah. Anywho, you folks are tuning in to hear about Latter-day Saint news. Of which oh, is there that is, what we do? I uh, there, there's officially some this week. Yes, yes, indeed, or we do. Uh, you know, some classic mentions for all y'all. Some things that might be more entertaining. I don't know if this will wind up being the usual. Jared and I can't stop talking for an hour and a half, or if we'll be done in 15 minutes. I have no idea how this is going to go. Well, we're already, I don't know how far in. 10 minutes in right now, my friend. Oh, that's not too bad. No, we've, we've bantered for longer than that. Oh, we've we've done far worse than that. So uh, I'm just going to jump into my lead story. Everybody, Puerto Rico now has that a lovely island. Now has a dedicated temple. Um, Elder D. Todd Christopherson went out there and dedicated. We know, of course, President Nelson likes to send uh, different apostles out to spread the wealth and spread the love for temple dedications. We've talked about that before. I think it's a cool, basically a policy of his, which is great. I think his predecessors weren't as into that. You've had a lot of president Monson sending out the first presidency to do everything, et cetera, et cetera. So this is cool. Puerto Rico got its temple, smaller one. It looks almost exactly like the temples in Guam or Cape Verde and stuff. But where, uh, where in Puerto Rico is it? Oh, it's San Juan. Okay. Yeah, it's San Juan. I mean, I'm sure it's in a suburb of San Juan. I don't know exactly where it is. It's still, I mean, I you know, I just didn't know if it was out in a more rural uh, 
Because is this Puerto Rico's first temple? Yeah, it's the first temple in Puerto Rico, and it's a big deal. I don't know why I thought they had one. I know it's kind of funny, right? Like they have stakes there. It's just taken a while. Well, the Caribbean is an interesting place because for a long time, you know, you had the the temple in the Dominican Republic in in Santo Domingo, which was there for quite a while. I think since like the mid late nineties, I want to say it went in. Um, Incidentally, one of the few temples that newer temples too, it has an assembly hall upstairs. Very few temples do that anymore, but that one has one, which is kind of cool. But um, that was the only temple in the whole Caribbean for a long time. Um, DR has got a lot of people. I mean, Haiti eventually got a temple, which is great. Now Puerto Rico has one. Jamaica still does not have one. Cuba is, you know, Cuba. Um, And after that, you're dealing with much lesser Antilles. I don't know if we're ever going to see a temple in like Grenada. That would be cool. That'd be cool. I'm for it. I'm pro. But I don't know. Netherlands Antilles somewhere? Like, I don't know. But uh, St. Lucia, the St. Lucia Temple, right? That's what I'm holding up for. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, But I remember how big of a deal this was because remember, it was five years ago, five and a half almost, when Hurricane Maria just thrashed Puerto Rico. And they were still recovering when about a year later, President Nelson announced the temple there in the country, which is a nice boon for the saints. I mean, they've they've suffered a lot in Puerto Rico. It might be like U.S. soil, a U.S. territory. Their relationship with the U.S. is different you know being a being they, what are, they are even though they cannot vote in federal elections they are citizens of the united states of america so yes and they are of yeah. course but the upside is i believe they don't pay income tax hmm. so federal tax because you know representation that whole deal anywho uh they, they dedicated the temple there puerto rico yeah smaller good for them let's hope they get another one someday i've well, never D- been wait, to puerto rico. dc doesn't have representation either and they 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 pay federal tax I don't know what's going on. DC yeah, also DC also gets electoral college votes though, and that's an amen- that's oh, an that's amendment true. to the that's an amendment to the Constitution that enabled that. Right. They didn't have that until the seventies. Does Puerto Rico have a non-voting member of the House like DC does? I would assume so. I don't know who it is, but I would assume so. Yeah, yeah. Because so there's, there's, so there's, there's like also rep, also and rep. Samoa. And U.S. Too? Virgin Islands has a rep up there too. Yeah. So. Okay, interesting. So do you think they have like a little lunch club where they like commiserate with each other? It's just the non-voting reps all hang yeah. out together. Yeah. So like, I didn't get to vote for McCarthy, man. <laughs> During right. that, that fun little week, they just are they, were they present for that? Was Eleanor Holmes Norton there just hanging out? Watching yeah. the watching the fun unfold? From what I, I know, know of her, I don't think she would have been voting for McCarthy. No, That's no, prob- probably not. I'd actually be surprised if almost – maybe maybe Samoa and Guam. Puerto yeah, Rico, I have course. a more conservative base there. Yeah. And yeah. for those of you new to U.S. politics, there's, you know, Puerto Rico becoming a state is a – has been an ongoing, there's always been three questions about Puerto Rico. Is it either statehood? Does it sort of retain its commonwealth status or does it become just an independent country? Maybe an independent right. country in free association with the U S which would mean a kind of thing like they're independent, but we handle their like foreign, we handle their military protection, stuff like that. Right. These have been questions for a long time. Well, and it's no interesting one, because the questions happen in two forms because there's the whole U S you know, po- political debate about it, you know, and, yeah. and of course, you know, Democrats are very much for, you know, Puerto Rican statehood and, by and large, conservatives are very much against it. Uh, but then you go to Puerto Rico and they have their own like very separate opinions and debates. Yeah. And they, they've had yeah. referendums on it many times. And it's almost always split like down the middle. Yeah. But it always – and it always fails. It's always like, no, we don't want to be a state. But it's always like a really close That's margin. Of- so it's complicated. It's a really complex Well, it's issue. very complicated. But, but the, the, one of the biggest issues is even if Puerto Rico was like if, – if they were having – referenda over and over and like 90% of the people were voting for statehood, mm-hmm. it would probably still never go anywhere because it has to go through the Senate. No, exactly. And, 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 on, yeah. and on this side, the issue of course is if you give like DC statehood, that's a guaranteed two democratic senators, Puerto Rico would probably also be two democratic senators. 
And that's just never going to go anywhere politically because all of a sudden, like, I mean, the Democrats would be fine with it, but the Republicans are like, why would we want four right. seats? This is why it's largely a partisan issue because it's, yeah, it's, 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 about, it's about the balance of power. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if it's anything, I mean, the only way to do things like that, and they've often balanced out statehood admissions to the union for different reasons in history, for sure. I mean, I don't think like, I don't think like Arizona, New Mexico came in at the same time because they're like, well, Arizona is going to be red and New Mexico will obviously be blue because that wasn't the case at the time. But of course, you know, in our history, I mean, you got, you know, Missouri Compromise, all kinds of fun things like that. Um, This is all fresh in my mind. I've been reading a biography of James Buchanan, widely regarded as the worst president in U.S. history. Interesting. I was going to say, like, why are you reading? That's what I, I, uh, I take my kids to the library a lot. And I've made sort of a loose goal of like, if I just like see stuff on an end cap, I'm just going to like go for it. I'm not going to take time to look it up on Goodreads. I'm just going to say, I'm going to go for this. Book. Gonna- who, wait, so is this like a, I mean, is it on an end cap because like John Meekham wrote it or like what, who, like why, why is this a prominent historian who published I know, the, James I think Buchanan? the library just kind of pushes, puts stuff where they put stuff. It's called worst president ever. It's written in a, in a very that's really funny. Playful manner. I'm not. I don't think it's the most the most thorough biography. It's a little bit breezy with the way it approaches things, but it's been fascinating to learn about that period of history, the pre Civil War era when you had a bunch of one term presidents. And well, had- executive power wasn't anything like it is today, and so like you know, it was sort of like the era of weak presidents anyway. So a little bit, yeah. And it's it's just it's it's fascinating, frankly, to just see how. Other things went back then when you had like the rise and fall of the Whigs, then the Republicans finally show up, the Democrats, Democratic Republicans are shifting all over the place. Interesting time period. And and Buchanan is widely known um, for not preventing the Civil War, presided over the Dred Scott decision, a panic of 57 as well. A lot of fun things happened under his watch. So it's been fun. He just like was seemed like a president who didn't want to like offend anybody. So he just kind of like sat there and like twiddled his thumbs. Anyway, we were talking about Puerto Rico. Yeah, we got a little off track, but that's fine. Well, um, other, I guess, I think it should be kind of a top story, at least just to pay tribute, but uh, Mary Hales. Uh, passed away this this last week. Who is and who? I mean, like, yeah. So I, I don't know who that is. When I saw the headline, I was like, "Who?" And then, of course, it, it's the it's the, the the wife of the late Robert D. Hales, uh, who was an apostle, a uh, member of the Corps of the Twelve Apostles. Yeah. So he passed away. When was that? In 2017. So it's been. Has it been that long? Five years. Yeah, already. a little, a little over five years. I remember that was that during. Con- remember it was during conference. It was yeah, during, it was, October, it was yeah. between sessions and President Nelson came back and said Elder Hales had passed away. Yeah, which I is, forgot about that. It was shocking. Yeah, a little yeah. shocking. I mean, he wasn't there. We knew he wasn't doing well. He hadn't been doing well. When one passes years. away, they're usually not there. Yeah. That's, I remember my mission president, you know, he knew Robert D. Hales and, and you know, I'm, I, you know, this is like what, 1999 and I'm talking with him and he made some comment about how he, you know, he's like, I don't, you know, we, you just don't think he'll be around for too long. He's got a lot of heart and health problems. And you know, that was like 99 or 2000. And, you know, he lasts another 17 years. Um, but yeah, so his wife, she was 90. She had made it to the ripe age of 90 and she passed away on the 15th. It says, so yeah, just uh, almost yeah. a week ago. Yeah. Um, but you know, and it doesn't really go into like cause of death. So I'm a guess, I'm just it's guessing just it was age. incidental to old age. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the, the, the church newsroom, that's what we're calling it, right? I always say this. Well, this is the, this is oh, the, this church, is the church news. The, yeah. This, this is, is the an article in the church news. They have a the very nice news. little article, uh, that's basically a, a life sketch obituary type thing, you know, paying tribute to a, a good, a good lady who was married to a good man and, you know, had a good impact on us yeah. in the church. So, uh, it's worth taking a look at the church news and, uh, just getting a, a good glimpse of, of her life. It's funny because 
we don't really, because of the way just church leadership works, the only time we really think about the spouses of apostles and members of the First Presidency are when they mention them in their talks or when they pass away, you know, so I which is kind of like, sad. I feel like they are very deliberately trying to change that, though. I mean, now you see so many of these firesides or social media posts are well, showing the two of them together. They're always showing them, like, yeah, come, they, come, come see Elder and Sister Renlin. Like, they're always, they're presenting them. Yeah, the yeah, exactly. A lot of the youth and young adult and single adult firesides will, yeah, picture, uh, feature a husband and wife team. Uh, and this is before he was an apostle, but I was going to say a famous exception to this is uh, Jeffrey R. Holland. When he was president of BYU, he would do side-by-side talks with his wife from time yeah. to time where they would share the podium and speak at the same time. And so, you know, he was not one to kind of, uh, to to you know, uh, take upstage his wife. Um, but then, you know, as an apostle, again, then it kind of becomes more like, oh, we don't really know much about her but yeah like you said we see a little bit more of that with uh, on the fireside type thing but i don't know i, I think um, in, i think in general they've tried to like elevate them from a pr standpoint a lot right. more anyway, and, but, and, and sometimes it depends on just like the kind of profile one of the wives wants i'm mean, like marjorie pay hinkley oh yeah was, we knew her was, we knew lot, her very yeah. very well and that's like compare that to say i'd say she also published a really uh, very you know popular book that yeah. uh, was well received and so yeah, yeah and she like, was and i feel like president public. president nelson's wife Definitely in the mix, but like President Monson's wife had health challenges too. But I'll, in general, I think she was just a type not to be right. as in the mix like that. But we knew, so, we knew, we felt like we knew Francis because President Monson told stories about yeah. her all the time. Yeah. So, incidentally, one thing I like at the end of this article, I, ha- I have to imagine this came from the Hales family, but they actually published the Zoom link if you wanted to watch the funeral, which was today when we were recording. So it's too late, folks. You won't see it. But, uh, it's not the kind of thing you expect you're going to get in a church news article that goes out over on a website this large. Like, hey, here's the Zoom link if you just want to, uh, you know, watch the funeral of a, Which a is still so former apostle. Like, it's wife. that still feels new. Going back to you know COVID stuff, I, I attended my first Zoom funeral during COVID. One of my cousins passed away from cancer, and it was mm-hmm. just really surreal to like be there in this family gathering. But then it was also weird because like I saw one of my mom's cousins like eating lunch during the funeral like i was like why wouldn't you just turn your camera off for that and so at the i was feel at the you know there's weird simultaneous feelings where i was like i'm so grateful that i get to participate in this funeral even though it's you know i'm remote and there's this thing going on and it was like uh and we see the further casualization of ceremony in, in america where yeah. i watched my mom's cousin shove pasta into her face during a very sad funeral <laughs> so Oh boy, I am. I am. I like that you say kind of the normalization of casualness, but I am thankful that the, the pandemic has made it, it, letting people participate remotely much more of a norm. I mean, three yeah. years ago, if you'd have been like, "Hey, hey, Bishop, I've got this software here, and I want to like live stream my kid's baptism to some family members who can't be here," and they would probably be like, "No, that's not appropriate. You can't do that." Like, right, and now it's in the the uh, manual that, that it's that it's entirely appropriate. And now it's totally know? fine, which is great. Yeah. Like, I love that. I mean, I've presided over you know since my time in the bishopric, I've presided over like child of record baptisms and things like that. And it's like it's a funny little wrinkle. Like you'll have people giving talks though who are on the Zoom call remotely. Like you'll yeah. you pass it over to somebody on screen. I see somebody with their iPad who's doing the live stream. Like you know they walk, they're just like walking with their. Um, up with their tripod, like over to the baptismal font, doing the whole thing. I think that's great. Like that's great. Like that we can we opened up about that. That's that's terrific. We should do more of that. Absolutely. But speaking of 
kind of being sticklers for the rules, I suppose. Uh, Sam Brunson over at My Common Consent. Interesting article. It's called Say It Again, Sam, A Plea to Bishops. Long and short of it here, we're talking about the sacrament prayers and essentially the fact that as you, if you've, I'm sure you've all been there in some meeting when the sacrament prayer, it's one of our few liturgical prayers we could say, some, which is a prayer that we actually state, you know, verbatim every time it has a specific way it's supposed to be done. We have very few of those in our faith, really. I right. mean, you got that, you got the baptismal prayer and... Right. And the and the thing the the uniting feature of those is that they're they're yeah. part of ordinances, and we believe yes. that the ordinances have set yeah. words that were revealed by you know given by revelation. So, yeah. and some uh, of the things in the temple, of course, are you know very word for word, and those don't change. And that's also because you know when you're doing proxy work, to present, want to present the exact same thing to the ones who are <laughs> receiving the ordinance. Um, but this article goes a bit more into kind of some of the history of that because we've all been there when like someone, a priest kind of says it a little bit wrong. Might be It's usually just a random little slip somewhere here or there and, you know, looks over at the bishop. See if the bishop however he does it, a thumbs up, a nod to the head, but sometimes they shake their head. And then they, they go, do then, little, then they, they do the little, over, yeah, then they again. kneel down yeah. and they do it again. And I've been in some meetings when it's like you do a, a many, many rounds and it gets to that point when you do a lot of rounds. That's when you, I, I feel like you start to feel a little tense as a congregation. Like, are we going to get through this? Cause you feel bad for the kid. Yeah. You're, have you ever seen the bishop kind of do this little like across the throat? Like, no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be better if he did it all like, <laughs> kill you. Um, but Sam gets into kind of the detail about this and sort of how the handbooks have even, even evolved a little bit over time and how they say to, to deal with that. Like it said in 1985, the sacrament prayers were, were revealed by the Lord and the bishop should make sure they are spoken accurately. When the bishop corrects an error, he should be careful to avoid causing embarrassment or distracting from the sacredness of the ordinance. That's good. They updated it in 1989 to say the sacrament prayers were revealed by the Lord and the bishop should make sure they are given accurately. It used to say spoken. Now it says given accurately. Well, that makes sense because you can sign. There's an ASL, an approved ASL prayer. So Exactly. And if if the person blessing the sacrament makes an error in the wording but corrects himself, no further correction is required. However, if he does not correct an error, the bishop should ask him to correct it. In doing so, the bishop then should be careful to avoid causing embarrassment, yada, yada, yada. So the main... The main caveat there is I think before the, in 85, the idea was if they messed up, you'd start the whole thing over. And, that right. was it. and now they're saying like, if you, you miss a word, back up, say it correctly again, you can go forward. And that's kind of how it's been right. for most of my life because I, right. I grew up in that environment. But now the handbook, the currently updated one that's open to everybody says, the bishop makes sure the sacramental prayers are spoken correctly, accurately, and with dignity. If someone makes an error in the wording and corrects himself, no further correction is needed. If the bishop does not correct his error, the bishop kindly asks him to repeat the prayer. The bishop uses discretion when asking for the prayer to be repeated. He ensures that doing so does not cause undue embarrassment or detract from the ordinance. Another person at the sacrament table can help as needed. So like I look through the handbook frequently, but like this, I, this was totally lost on me. I did not notice this change at all. And what this is essentially saying is that the bishop can really decide if even if someone messes up the sacramental prayer, if it needs to be stated again, kind of knowing the vibe for the room, knowing the the priest involved, is it something you should even do? And the bishop has the authority to just give the thumbs up and be like, we're good. The Lord knows what we're trying to do here and we're cool with it. And I think that's great. I mean, I think we've seen the a bishop's discretion become a much more prominent uh, option in a lot of the handbook updates. Mm-hmm. And 
This is just this is cool, and it's also worth noting, of course, we don't have anywhere that says in the scriptures that state the sacrament prayer needs to be done over and over again if it's done incorrectly. Like that's pol- that, no. that's church policy and things that have evolved, but nowhere does it does it say that. It says give the sacramental prayer correctly, but not just keep going and just repeat it forever until you get it correct. Well, and really, we're not even. I mean, at least with the the second prayer, we're not we're not using the one that was revealed. You know, either the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants both say wine and we have changed it to water. And I, sure. and, I know, and I know that's like a different separate issue, but I think it still is relevant because it's, you know, we adapt, right? I think the whole point of the whole changing out the word wine for water is a sign of adaptation. And I think that we can extend that, that like a compassionate adaptation to yeah. a 16 year old who's doing his best. And I, especially I've been in wards I've been in multiple wards where there was a priest who um, had some special needs, you know, yeah, and was doing yeah. his very best based on his limitations uh, to give these prayers well. But, you know, and and, I, and thankfully, I, you know, usually those bishops um, were very understanding and, like I said, compassionate and didn't, you know, make them do things over and over again. But I have seen, you know, kids, you know, special needs are not asked to repeat it and it's almost like it just makes it worse like if you say do this again some for some of them it means oh he's going to mess up again and it's going to be worse you know and then like you said it can become a very tense downward cycle and so yeah i think there is there's a lot of room for compassion there's a lot of room for the adaptation of just recognizing the fallibility of anyone who's you know trying to perform work on behalf of the lord you know, and and we saw this uh, just. I think it was just this last Sunday. I, that one of the priests was given a prayer, and I think he added in an "and" in the second prayer, which is very easy to do because it's more abbreviated. So it kind mm-hmm. of feels like it's missing words, maybe. And I and I just turned to you know, and then you know they started passing the water, and I turned to Kelsey. I was like, "Did he add in an and?" And Kelsey was like, "Yeah," but you know, the bishop. I don't. I I doubt he didn't catch it. I think he just made a use discretion. Is that what the word was in the? Yeah, yeah. To use his own discretion to say, like, it's okay. We don't need to redo this. The prayer was given well enough that the Lord <laughs> is going to accept this ordinance, you know, and it's not going to affect any of our abilities to renew our covenants or reflect upon the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, yeah, I think <laughs> I, I like I like this. I think it's a good Sam. Approach. I usually feel like Sam makes good points, but I really liked this one. I think he's he's brought up some really good things for us to think about and for leaders to think about. Do you want to get into a really pedantic digression? I do. You know me. I, I'm I'm Mister Pedantry. Okay. So uh, I remember I wrote this article over at This Week in Mormons a few years ago called "The Sacrament Prayers Are Grammatically Wrong." Oh yeah, <laughs> I remember. No, I think I actually uh, we were on. I was on the episode when we talked about. Did that. we talk about this? One? Anyway, <laughs> yeah. I, I just I happened to stumble. I was thinking about it, so I stumbled upon it. I. I because you wanted it, you want it to be that, or you wanted to it's switch that, to that it's a, for it's a, a witch. It's a, it's a that witch issue because it says, um, yeah. "and keep his commandments," which he the, the prayers say, "don't keep his commandments," which he has given them. Right? Which is a restrictive clause or whatever. It should be grammatically. It should be "and keep his commandments that he has given them," or you would say "keep comma. his commandments, comma which he has given them." And in that case, yeah. when you do comma which, it means essentially the extra wor- verbiage at, words after the comma. It's just color adding more colored, but it's not adding new information to the yeah. sentence. Whereas if you say that he has given them, it's a clear, it's a very clear extra bit of information. Well, if you leave out the comma and you say the commandments which he has given them, it's indicating, well, there may be other commandments, commandments which he has not given. Not so given, who yes. else is a source of commandments, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like, let's take that one up with Moroni. Huh? Yeah. Well, yeah. If we're going to adapt, like, let's just let 
anybody, given the prayer, priest or otherwise, just, uh, you know, take a red pencil to the sacrament prayer and, and give it in the way that they feel most yes, sure. Uh, in in current modern English reflects uh, the, what we're trying to communicate. In fairness, though, like we've updated the Book of Mormon to fix grammatical errors. That's true. Why so, do we not update the sacrament prayers with a comma? <laughs> Either with a comma or with a that. One because of the other. We, we, we would need that to be a revelatory comma. You can't just add in commas willy nilly. You have to bring it to you know the source of revelation. I know Kurt doesn't name the episodes anymore, but if you could call this revel- just call the episode "Revelatory Comma," I would appreciate it. I think that would that would do well. They don't do. I don't even know what number of episode this is anymore. I assume it's like seven hundred and forty-five. I don't even know. It's. Uh, I would totally. I mean, I am an editor, but I would totally listen to a podcast about editing called "The Revelatory Comma." <laughs> <laughs> this is higher than this is higher than the Oxford comma, Jeff. Oh, I, I was uh, actually I was doing a, I was interviewing someone for a position this week, and when I interview communications people, people who I want to be content generators. I sometimes like to just like for fun, you know, loosen up a bit. Like they'll ask them like, what's your preferred like writing style? Like, like justify AP to me versus Chicago or something like that. Right. But I said like, all right, this is really cool. We're at the end of the interview and I'm going to ask you a question. And this, this is like important. Like you take the time to answer it correctly. And I said, Oxford comma, yay or nay and why? And they, she lit up. And explain to me why the Oxford comma was so important. It is so important, people. I love the AP, but AP style is very dumb when it comes to to lists. The Oxford comma is crucial. It's crucial, people. Everyone should I, have the Oxford comma. I, I mean, it lends clarity. And there are times where it doesn't lend more clarity. Like I, I know our good friend, our mutual friend, Joseph, thinks that it should be flexible. That you, you know, Because the, the one rule is you have to be consistent in your usage. Either do use it or don't. True. Uh, and Joseph argues for use it when you need it for clarification and leave it out when you don't. And I think that's just chaos. I think that's, you know, that's what no. brings about the end no. of the world. Joe, you're wrong. You, you've <laughs> got to use the Oxford comma. And, and if you're doing lists that involve sublists where one of those items is broken up by commas, you got to do semicolons for your list, my friends. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Again, There's, Jeff, I am an editor. Like, I, and I see this no way around all this. the time. <laughs> I'm like, or I'll, I'll see people who use semicolons just because it's a really long list. And I usually, first of all, you know, well, that's not for, fair. I know you can't, you can't just stuff. do it for fun. I know it's just like I think there's this part of them that goes, "Oh, I know that there's certain rules about complicated lists where you have to use a semicolon." So either, generally, what I do is not only do I delete the semicolons, but I make it into a bulleted list because if it's that if you have like more than like four or five things, it's like no one wants to read that sentence. That's true. Anyway. We we digress. Um, but this is, more, this is more fun though than, than Latter Day Saint news. Let's just talk about grammar. The re, the the, oh, the, so re, the revelatory much, comma. This is the revelatory editing. We are no longer this week in Mormons. Welcome to the revelatory comma with Jeff and Jared. This week in grammatic pedantry, <laughs> which but, I, I can't like. I enjoy it. Jared is at a way higher level than I am in terms of editing. Well, again, it, it's my job. Play. It's my Still. job. So, um, and, and I'm and I, and I will say I'm good at it. Um, I'm good at two things. I'm good at knowing the the nitpicky rules of American grammar and punctuation. Um, and I'm also good at really weird formatting in word. I'm the guy on my, like, I'm, I'm part of a documentation team yeah. and everyone's pretty good. I mean, most like a lot, a lot of the other people aren't technically editors. They are more like they're the technical writing side of things. Uh, but still, and everyone, you know, we all use word as our main software, mm. but if there's ever an issue, I'm the guy. I'm the guy they come to. They're like, I don't, I can't figure out how to fix this formatting. And 
I don't know. I, I, I just, I, it's, it, it's a stupid, stupid program. It's, I feel the same way about word as I did about the HVAC. May it rest in peace. I know it hasn't been torn oh, yet, yeah. but I love that building partly because it's a monstrosity. Like it just has so much wonderful character. And I feel similarly about word. I don't love it, but there's a part of me that just feels endeared to it because of the struggles I've had to go through with it. Yeah. We've, 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 we've formed a bond. Uh, so I'm I'm good at uh, figuring out what's going on with word yeah, and why it's like me. It's like me with my uh, with my fellow counselors in the bishopric. Makes yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh goodness! Wow. Hey, it's well, a new well, can well, I mean, I mean, what I I, I, mean, I mean, never mind. Well, never mind. Well, let's move on then. Speaking of pedantry, uh, let's let's continue to be pedantic. And uh, so times and seasons, which is uh, another you know, I feel like at least during the era of Jeff Openshaw, especially if Sam Brunson wrote an article for By Common Consent, it, By Common Consent got a lot of airtime on this show. Times yeah. and seasons, not as much, and I'm not sure why. Here and there. Uh, but I, I, I mean, it's the same thing in my personal life. I, I, I very frequently will read or at least peruse a By Common Consent article. Not as much with Times and Seasons. I'm not sure why. But they posted uh, uh, something earlier this week where they got into it with, whether or not uh, Latter-day Saints should be watching R-rated movies. And they even make a case for their being very worthy and very, um, I mean, I don't know worthy is the right word, but just very commendable R-rated material out there that members of the church should be watching. And I I don't know. What do you think about this, Jeff? What's, what say ye on the pedantic no R-rated movies rule? I just, I guess, kind of revealed my hand here by calling it pedantic but yes what what do you think well first of all i'm curious about i i'm i need to parse the name of the the article is called r-rated sound of musics is he trying to say like ones that should be universally accepted within our faith community like it's like the sound of music's a beloved film i feel like it's never explained if you do a quick sound of page search it's the headline and then the last paragraph which is a list of r-rated analogs to the sound of music these are r-rated <laughs> Films and series that, in my opinion, are some of the most impactful gems that a member could miss if they hold hard and fast to the R rule. So I guess it's okay. I guess I'm just saying, like, just like R, like the sound of music is full of good and uplifting and thought provoking content, and everybody, it's become ubiquitous in the LDS home. These are analogous in that. I guess we never we never watch it because so um, the sound of music I do love as a film. Mm-hmm. For what it is, uh, just a a massive dose of sugar, and that's fine. But uh, my wife can't watch it <laughs> because when uh, when the when Maria and the captain finally get together in the gazebo, you know, mm-hmm. they got the soft lighting, and, and they and, mash and the their captain, faces together. And the captain random like starts saying, "He's like, do you know when I when I knew I loved you?" And he's like, "It's when you." sat on that stupid pine cone like like her first night with the kids and uh-huh. the pine cone in her chair and my wife sits there she's like hold on you're telling me you'd barely seen this woman and she sits down on a pine cone that your stupid kids place there and that's the moment you're like that's it she's the one she's well, the one for me sorry baroness kind of- sorry baroness it doesn't matter anymore <laughs> and you- then he continues to treat her very coldly i mean he, he knows he loves her when she sits on this pine cone and then he like treats her like a like a, he doesn't know, know. He, a dispensable he knows, servant. He knows she loves her when he hears the kids singing music in the other room and it softens his heart and he sings along. That like that's fair. But the pine yeah. cone, no, 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 no. Anyway. No. Um anyway. Anyway, so as far as the R-rated thing, I, I think I held fast to it uh through my adolescence. And I think mm-hmm. back then even the church was a little bit more explicitly using R rating as the guidance. 
And I don't, I don't think it was ever in the. Wasn't it in for strength uh, of youth? Though? I don't it think. It, I don't think it said R rated. At least in yeah, I don't think so during our era of for strength of youth. But I do remember it being mentioned in at least one conference talk. Like they used the you know term R rated movies. Yeah, I'm trying to do a quick query of LDS.org or sorry, ChurchofJesusChrist.org to see if it'll. Uh... I mean, okay. <laughs> so the new era in 2001 has an article where it says straight up a prophet of God is said not to watch R-rated movies. Oh, who do they cite? Which prophet? Of God? I'm getting there on. It must have been as Jeff Benson. I don't think anyone has said it since him. R, be grateful. R-rate. R means don't rationalize. Elder Cree, oh, Creel Cofford of the 70. What difference yeah, does it make? Why is that a prophet? That's a 70. Let me see if there's other ones here. Now, in, in fairness, so like, here's the thing. So this is a whole article about like the stuff to consume, right? And like, there's some fair, like we must not feed ourselves diets of trash. Um, don't let the wrong kinds of books, pictures, and other reading material be near you to tempt you to make even, you know, having the slightest glance. It is very unreasonable to suppose that exposure to profanity, nudity, sex, and violence has no negative effects on us. Anyway, so they've said R-rated, yada, yada, yada. And I, and I remember this showing up, but... The church doesn't say that anymore. And I think the main reason it doesn't say that anymore is not because they're saying, watch whatever you want. There's an element to that, though. I mean, we think about the new for the strength of youth, which is much more principles-based and like make good decisions for your yourself and figure that out, less prescriptive. But I think it's also just because we're a global church and we were basing our morality in the arbitrary rating system of the trade association that represented the big five studios. Like, sure. That's where we were getting our like that this random group that rates the films, and we were saying like yes, that is what it's based on. Of course, it's arbitrary because if you go to a rating system in the UK, you could have two PG thirteen films here in the US that are largely similar in content. I can't think of what it would be right now, but they could both be PG thirteen. And in Great Britain, one of them might be a twelve A, one of them might be a fifteen. Mm-hmm. You know, an R two R rated movies here. One of them might be a fifteen, one of them might be an eighteen in the UK because it's a different culture, different ratings. So you can't base. You can't. You just can't base a if it's a godly principle or set of principles. You can't base it on a worldly rating system. I mean, that's why I find well, using especially since like, like even like you know going back to your ex- comparative example with, with the UK, like with our ratings in America, like supposedly that means it's restricted for under age of seventeen. So even just like there's not is there's not a good analogy because in Britain it's fifteen A, and so it's like well, is there a difference between a, a content that's been deemed appropriate for someone 17 or older in America versus someone 15 and older. Well, and don't even get me started on the weirdness of the fact that like NC 17 exists. And that means like no one under 17 can see this. Yeah. Which is weird. You have to have a, you you could see R if you had an adult with you. If you have an adult, but I I think it's mostly because at least in the States, NC 17 is a weird rating um, because let's face it. America is a violent country. Like you can have torture porn, you can have tons of language and it'll get rated R, but if it's got a little bit too much sexuality, they'll slap it with an NC 17. Right. Right. And yeah, they invented the rating for like showgirls. Right. Well, I think they invented the rating cause rated X, which when, when the X rating was initially created, it did not have the pornography connotation. It, mm-hmm. it kind of carried with it. Like, no, this is like just even more beyond R. This is now rated X, but then the porn industry kind of, uh, took that over they kind of co-opted it and uh and that's why they got rid of it so it was a different way to say that because then it had this they were trying to have a more legitimate rating that they could use for more intense content that would not sound like it was just pornography right still you got showgirls right and so showgirls sure full of nudity sexuality all this stuff 
why is it okay for a 17 year old then to go and see that alone? Right. But that same 17 year old cannot go and buy a Playboy because you have to be 18 to do that legally. Yeah. No, yeah. Another, so it's, it's just weird inconsistencies, right? That, that part's weird too. So I think like when you're consuming media, I agree with the, the broader notion of like, yeah, don't feed yourself garbage. I mean, figure out what works for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to use things like common sense media or even just IMDB. Like if something interests sure. me, maybe I'll go check yeah, they have out like the parents guide and they'll yeah, tell look you at the parents guide and like, tell me like, and I might say like, Oh, I didn't realize this show is going to have like all this much kind of stuff. And it maybe I'll pass, you know, you know something else? has like a oh, couple good. of F words in it, or I, I can speak all day about this. Like I think about the King speech and social networking back in 2010 King speech, won best picture, but you remember the big drama around it. Cause it's essentially a PG movie with one scene where where, dropping, and, the, and the reason why he's dropping a bunch of F-bombs is because it's part of his speech therapy. Yes. And that, but they got, so, I mean, it was such a big deal. They got a version released that either muted, the, that just muted that sequence Which so that it could be really, PG. I think it takes a lot of wind out of the sails of that movie. So Honestly, I think it. it's a very powerful scene. And you, when you take the, the, the curse words out of it, you're like, oh, it's kind of yeah. weird, you know? It's weird. And then and then you compare that to something like the social network. It's a big competitor at the Oscars that year that year. And I actually still stand by I think social network should have won best picture over the King's speech. Hmm. But um social network was PG thirteen. Social network though has like way headier subject matter and mood. I mean, you, you have drugs True. and sexuality and, and, and Army and, Hammer was in it twice because he <laughs> plays his own twin. <laughs> that guy <laughs> like, like, like it's still like a PG thirteen movie, but when you think about it, like that's it's the rating system is goofy in that sense. Yeah. And you you can't trust in everything like that. I know we're drifting a bit because this the point of this is, is to say, I want to here's I'll, a list of R rated stuff that's worth yeah. watching. And well, I want to drift just a little bit more because what's interesting. Well, first of all, there's well, I think there's there's a a reason to drift because like I noticed on this list, there's there's a lot of media that is, um, like television, and so like that those even don't even have. Well, TV, he, he mentions TVMA, yeah. Sure. Like, better Call Saul is on the list. I'm like, guys, Better Call Saul might get gets get TVMA. Better Call Saul is fine. It's like, it's not even as And not every, anyway. and, and you know, well, in a TV show can vary episode to episode. I yeah, think some sure. episodes of Better Call Saul were t- TVMA, but others were TV, what, a 14 or whatever the, you This know, is an interesting is. list though, because some of these I'm familiar with aspects of them. And I'm actually, I like um, Requiem for a Dream may be important, but I think it's a hard time to, I know what's in that. Movie. I have no interest in watching, and I don't know if that that <laughs> that makes the cut for something right. that's still worth worth your time. Well, as a this, is, well this person also included Godfather three on their list, so you know, big grain of salt. Are Godfather one and two on there? Yes, it's Godfather okay. one and two, and then in parentheses, so sue me, in parentheses three, and so I was like, well, yes, yes, and no, but anyway, I just the another interesting kind of. Off a little bit off track. The Northman uh, wasn't that one that the one that just came out. There was like, the one like the, they, super yeah, violent Vikings. Super violent Vikings. Why stuff, is that yeah. on the list? That's just like a random act. I, I from all of what I've heard, it's a it's an excellent piece. No, of I'm cinema. sure it's good, but I mean, there's like like like. But I don't know, I don't know if it's Sound of Music. <laughs> I'm just trying to think about like what makes these things you know like like Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. beyond there. Thin Red Line. Yeah, I think that could be. I never saw of, that one. Eternal Sunshine is I love is Eternal great, yeah. great movie. But, well, I just want to say, <laughs> Glenn, like, Gary Glenn Ross, if you just want to watch people drop f bombs, I was like, going to say day. again, maybe. I mean, it's powerful writing and good acting, but like, yeah, I mean, it's so full of profanity and Magnolia. Like, I can see, similarly. yeah, yeah. But I just, I thought one other interesting thing about this whole rating system thing that we've applied to movies and now television, as you pointed out, if you tried to create a rating system for books. 
I think there would be a huge uproar mm. because then, because like there's something that we hold sacred about the printed word and especially in America where, you know, the first amendment, the first of 10 amendments addresses freedom of speech, freedom of the press and freedom of religion, all yeah. in one amendment. You know, it's funny. There's a good argument for breaking, <laughs> breaking those up into three amendments, but uh, you know, because of speech and press, you know, if you tried to say this book is rated whatever, because, and I mean, we're seeing that now with the whole book banning debates that are going on across sure. America with and school, that's, school and public yeah, libraries. And that's going to, and it's, it's coming to waves for sure. I mean, like Catcher in the sure. Rye was controversial. But even still, right? I think if there was some, you know, whether it was a trade association or a, a government association that tried to put a rating on books, I think people would be outraged. And so it's interesting that. I mean, movies and television, while are not packaged in a you know paper or an electronic you know, format with you know whatever as a as a book, they are the written word. They start as scripts. Yeah, and then we and we but we there's there's we have no problem with saying and now we're going to tell you how to consume or how you ought to think about consuming these this written word. I, I like what you said there. How you ought to think about consuming it because right. I, so, I think and again, if we tried to do that with books, people would be like, "Don't you no the the written printed word is sacred." It was like, well, is is not at anyway. the same time. It's like, and I feel like I don't know the every history of the rating system in the U.S. I have to imagine. I don't think movies showed up with ratings until after like the Hayes Code kind of disappeared, which was the self imposed yeah. like set of guidelines the industry followed for thirty odd years. Yeah, that, I don't think you, you know, start seeing ratings until the sixties. Yeah, and it's kind of a, a, around then. At the same time, it like kind of lets you know what you're getting into. I think it's funny you say that about books, and I agree there would be an uproar. I also think about like you know um, Broadway plays, theater essentially, mm -hmm. which doesn't have a rating. At the same time, sometimes I've read books or I've been to the theater and I felt a little blindsided because I had no idea what some of the content would be that I did not necessarily True. want to have no. my... And, I don't, and, I, and I'm fine with content warnings. Like I, I do, you know, I use IMDb as well to go in and see, you know, look at the parent guide and just but see... But books you know. don't have content warnings. No, but you can read, you know, people blog. There are, you know, there, there, are, there yeah. are ways to be able to shape your expectations how, without a rating system though, right? How, like, how do you think books have avoided this up to this point. I remember growing up through, so like the parental advisory label on CDs, for example, mm -hmm. that really got a lot of, that really started picking up in the nineties. I remember that. That was the way, cause parents were yeah. freaking out that sure, like, sure. you know, cop killer had come NWA out. Or, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like that, yeah. And so like that became a thing. The rating system for television didn't show up until like the mid late nineties when all this, cause before mm -hmm. that, there was nothing that's showing TV PG 14 MA that, that just didn't exist at the time right. you had, you had broadcast net television and you had cable where they could do whatever they wanted. Um, I, it's actually interesting to me that the publishing industry has just sort of just avoided it. It's the oldest one of all of them, of course. And again, so I, d I just think that, you know, especially in America, you just get people up in arms about it. I, I think they avoid it because they know it wouldn't be received well. Um, I'm back, sure Matt Gates is going to find a way to bring this up. <laughs> oh, please no. I want to um, wait. You're suggesting? Oh, sorry. I'm going to get a little political here. Are you suggesting that he would do something to actively govern? I, I, I just no. can't. Okay, no. Okay. So there you no, go. No, no, no. Um, okay. Don't get me started going, on going this. Back. There's all this debt ceiling stuff going on right now. So it's just go. We need to move on from this. Yeah. But just, I asked you, you, you think, and I'll, I'll just really quickly put my two cents in. I, I, I was also, I was raised in a very strict no R-rated movies home, and it's funny because uh, I've seen my mom bend a little bit on that in her older age like 
there's certain movies that she loves and I'm like, mom, isn't that rated R? And she's like, yeah, this one doesn't count. <laughs> it's like when we need, we needled uh, Evan McMullen when the first time he was on the show, cause his, his favorite movie was three days of the condor. And I was like, dude, that's rated R. How are you going to get more, more yeah. to trust you? But well, like why you, I mean, you look at it and you're like, why is it rated R? Like it's, there's not, yeah, there's it's not so I, tame. It's so tame. There's not much. There's a very awkward sex scene. Yes, very, and also, I mean, like there's, very, some, there's there's some violent images, you know, from the people who get killed. Uh, it's not like, like that. No, yeah. it's not disturbing. Like the French uh, Connection is harder than three. Yeah, well, French mm-hmm. Connection not just for the actual language, but just because Popeye is like racist and oh yeah, he's a dirty cop, and like so thematically, it's definitely heavier than. Uh, anyway, I I remember though. I mean, I, I kept I held to that for a long time, and then I remember thinking about it one day that. I I had I had loved and watched and rewatched several times because I, I have it on DVD the HBO miniseries Band of Brothers mm, yeah and I, and I remember at one point after having watched it thinking man if anything is rated R this is even though it you know it wasn't it didn't have a rating I think it might it probably did have a TV rating but I wasn't aware of it because they didn't put those on the DVD case because you didn't have yeah. to because you're not broadcasting it right yeah and so I just remember thinking. Well, if I'm cool with watching this, there's probably other media out there that's quote unquote rated R that's also worth my time and consideration. And I kind of just started doing the whole, well, I'll just, you know, like you said, I'll check out IMDb. Look, I'll see what if I, if there's content that I'm worth, you know. And so I, I remember, I think the first R rated movie that I went and saw in the theater, <laughs> I want to say was uh, Silver Linings Playbook. Oh, wow. Which I loved. And I was just like, I'm really glad I watched this. I'm really glad I took the time and, you know, made this part of my repertoire because it, I still, I, I've, I've still only seen it the one time, but I think about it all the time. When, and, it, and as I've gone, as I've seen people in my life go through mental health issues, I've had, as I've had my own like bouts with, you know, minor mental health stuff, I think about that movie all the time and it made a real impact on me. And so I, I think there is an argument that, and it's a very good argument that, we like you said, we shouldn't allow some trade association to dictate what is worth and not worth our time and consideration, and that we can make our own informed decisions for what 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 what's what do I want to let into my life? And um, sometimes I think very justifiably that those things are rated R or rated TVMA or TV yeah. whatever. Um, but just you know, but that doesn't mean anything goes. Just you know, be choosy like you would be choosy with anything else. I've put books down that, you know, that were not rated, sure. but like that I came across a scene and I was just like, I can't, no, I'm not going to keep reading this. Like, you know, that's, that's your prerogative and exercise it. But yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any justification anymore for saying like, well, the MPAA said that this might harm. Well, no, me it, would, it would be the prophet said, don't watch already movies, but, but, but it's not and the then, prophet. It's the MPAA who's ultimately like being that gatekeeper for you. Yeah. And you're like, well, the MPAA said this is going to harm me spiritually. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I think also the, on the other side of it is I think we have to be careful because we're kind of talking about like how you can find merit in, in what is genuinely adult content, quote unquote, but you can find merit in it. At the same time, you could also make the argument that it was easier to say R-rated years ago when nowadays it's gotten so murky because you'd be like oh there's a lot of like pg-13 stuff you probably shouldn't watch either sure there's like, and, and then that could be things that are probably worse than R, but then on that argument there's a lot of ours that are better than pg-13 oh yeah so it's like you know you can make the argument the argument cuts both ways and it's always so hard i remember the, what's that movie called it's the one that's got um it's like diane keaton i think is it steve martin and alec baldwin are both are all in it it's like a rom-com for older people what is it called <laughs> something's gotta give i think that's oh, okay called. is that what it anyway, is anyway that movie is rated R, 
instead of PG-13, only because there is a scene that shows them smoking marijuana without negative consequences. Like it doesn't negatively portray marijuana use. And so it got hit with an R rating. Like there's an example mm-hmm. of the arbitrary nature of it. Now I'm not saying watch it. I'm not saying, you know, if you want your kids to think pot's good or you like, know, whatever. Like ten, well, in 10 years ago, I saw somebody was proposing a rule because they were trying so hard to just like crack down on like, like just, just trying to get America to quit smoking. And there was somebody. There were the MPA at, point, at one point was seriously considering a rule that if it if any smoking, any tobacco use was in a movie, they would automatically make it an R. Yeah. And so again, so it's well, like, well, they have noted that now. If you look at the ratings of why, because a lot yeah, of depictions of white is, it'll say yeah. tobacco depictions or depictions of drug use. You see that? Too. Yeah, that'll like, be that'll be a thing. Well, yeah. anyway, Satan is is alive and well with both of us. Just drag, <laughs> just dragging us down. I don't understand. Why I love Emily, this echo chamber. Why is Emily in Paris not on this guy's this this list here? I mean, come on, Stephen. Where's Emily uh, in Paris? Come I don't on. know enough about that show to know. Where's but... Bridgerton, man? <laughs> come Do on. The, are both of those I, I should, steamy shows? Should I leave a comment that just says I humbly s- submit the room? Why is that not on the list? <laughs> is that the Tommy was so? Yeah. Why is that? Not <laughs> 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 oh, funny. oh boy all right a couple of quick things here so uh the church news has published a nice little ditty here about uh membership numbers in latin america um as a quick aside i noticed looking at the attachment for this graph they put in there the church uses chorus for the church news uses the chorus uh, content management system cms which is the one owned by vox just a oh, random thing the church uses chorus is a nice system but and i know they a couple of years ago they opened it up to other people but go figure the church is using a vox product that leftist rag so <laughs> Everybody. Um, Founded by that that dirtbag Ezra Klein. Uh, I guess he left though, right? Isn't he in New York no, Times? No, yeah, now? he works with the New York Times now. Yeah. Um, and he has a very enjoyable podcast. Sorry. So <clears throat> members as of December, uh, unrelated, if you ever listen to the Daily Podcast on New York Times, they ha- they just put one out this week about that, where they followed people migrating across the Darien Gap, which hmm. is this, this jungle area between Panama and yeah. Colombia. It's the only part where there's no road for the Pan American Highway. Uh, it's like... It's a depressing but very fascinating listen to you're hearing about like Venezuelan people who are trying to walk all the way to like the United States and stuff like that. It's, it's crazy. It was, it was fascinating. And their reporter like went down there and just like decided to like migrate with other people and stuff. So anyway, um Latin America, members as of December 31st, 2021, mind you, because they're not going to give you the 2022 reveal. You got to wait till April conference for that, people. Don't think that they know, but they're not going to tell you yet. Come on, you got to wait. Either way, uh, this shows sort of the percent increase over 10 years, which is kind of cool uh, in some of these countries. And so like hard numbers are one thing, but a percent increase says a lot. Haiti is number one in terms of percent increase. Over 10 years, a 43% gain in membership. There's only about 25,000 members in the country, but a 43% gain is huge with respect to their overall numbers. Well, so what is then, the overall population of Haiti? It's not that big, is it's it? It's not crazy big, no. I mean, yeah, I wish they would show per capita on here. That'd be kind of interesting as well. The one that oh, there's, not, okay. No, there's 11 and a half million people in Haiti, okay. uh, but still like, yeah, 43% increase. That's, I did not expect to see big. though, uh, Belize on this list, you know, Belize kind of, you look at Central America, Belize is like the one Central American country now with no temple announced. Nicaragua was that for a long time until they got the one announced. Belize is just over there on the Yucatan Peninsula next to Mexico and Guatemala. They speak English there because it was a British colony until the sixties. Um, you don't think much about it, but believe, and there's only 5,500 members, but that's still a 37% increase over the past 10 years. Good for them. Yeah. Kind of cool. Chile, on the other hand, is bringing up the rear at number 24 with only a 6% growth rate over 10 years. Well, it's a 6% increase over 10 years, which is a, 
There's over 600,000 members in Chile, but uh, apparently the work is not going at an expeditious pace. So there's like, let's see, there's 19 and a half million people in Haiti. And I remember at one point they were reporting that like, um, you know, that like one in five people in Chile were like members of the church. Maybe that was exaggerated. Well, that, well, that was like famously why Elder Holland was sent to preside over the Chile area back like 20 years ago. Remember like when he and Elder Oaks presided over Philippines and Chile respectively, like the church put it out like it was this cool opportunity, but everyone kind of read it like, yeah, Chile's got a lot of members in the books, but it's not living up to its potential. So an apostle is coming down there to- So if you uh, run the actual, like I just did a quick, you know, if, if the number on that chart is correct and the and the current population is- about 19 and a half million that you got 3%, 3% of the country. Yeah. That's is, the same as the U S. Yeah. Basically. I mean, which is, you know, not Good a small number. Like it's not as far as a religious minority goes, uh, having 3% of the population be a member of your church. That's, that's significant. Oh, but um, how, how, I mean, how is it with Brazil then? We're probably about 3% in Brazil. Right oh, now. you're making me do all the division. Yes, here. I okay. am. All right. Let's see. Population of Brazil. I'm sure is much. Brazil's higher. about what? 200 something million. Hang on. I'm just Googling here. 214, go. baby. 214 million. So let's do the math here. This is very go. important. Here. So uh, so what do they say? Okay, one. one round up. You, you could round up to 1.5 million if you want. That's what I'm doing. And what did we say the total population was? Two and 214 million. It's going to be better than three. No, I did that wrong. It's about 7%. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just I just have a zero. I just had to move a decimal point over one. So yeah, about seven percent of the population of Brazil Not is on the church records. Now, of course, we we kind of talking about this a little bit about before the show. This does not reflect activity rates, so it's a lot harder for us to know. Oh, out the church of this, never published that. No, and, and well, and it's hard to gauge. I mean, they do gauge that. We take we take uh, and, and some wards do it better than others. So I, I wonder about how reliable the numbers are. But we take. Um, role in Sunday school and Elder Corner and Relief Society and, and you know, youth classes in primary. So we probably have some rough idea of what activity rates are, but still it would be hard to really know out of the 602, mm-hmm. 603,000 members in Chile, how many of them actively still would identify and acknowledge, yeah, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, and how many of them are actually showing up and, you know, attending meetings and who knows? Permission but, to to pedant? Oh, please do. Uh, I don't want us to cut off your thought, though. No, no, no. I was just thinking, like, you know, with Mexico and Brazil and a couple of these other countries, we're seeing really big numbers. Uh, but, you know, what does that mean as far as, like, people showing up and being active participants in, in this church? So I, I don't know. Yeah. Where did that go? So uh, as far as I'm aware, I believe this article is about um, – you know, the ch- church growth in Latin America. Mm-hmm. Mostly fair, though. But if we're being real, uh, Jamaica is not part of Latin America. It is not. And and again, is Belize part of Latin America? Yeah. Is, yeah. Being an English-speaking and, and, country? And is, is Guyana where they speak English? Is Suriname where they speak Dutch? Is French Guiana, which is part of metropolitan France? Like, it's like a state. It's like Hawaii for us. Like, saying, what, do they, what do they speak in French Guiana? Just kidding. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, yeah, is that yeah, Latin they, America? Yeah, they, they've got the Caribbean and, well and, represented And here's a question. Here. Why, is Tr- why, why does Trinidad make the cut? Why is Jamaica on the list? But, but not- like. Not why the Bahamas. Or why aren't like the random other lesser Antilles? Like Trinidad and Tobago get on there, but why not other like the other parts of the Caribbean? Wait, are, is Puerto Rico in here? I don't think so. Yeah, it's down near the bottom. 
12%. Oh, there it is. Okay. I was like going to say, okay. Um, I mean, like, where's the cutoff here? Like, why are they, I mean, like, I want to know. They speak, they speak English there. Why isn't the Bahamas on this list? I want to know. Everybody else. Yeah. I want to know, you know, the tr- the 10-year tw- increase in growth in Aruba. Do better, church news. <laughs> Do better. Oh, you know what it is? It's because they used this Vox tool. It's, you think this is the fault of the chorus? I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just want to blame that. I blame Ezra Klein. I blame Ezra Klein. That's the title of the episode. And my, and my holy comma, whatever we called that earlier. <laughs> Ezra Klein and the, uh, yeah, revelatory comma. Revelatory comma. That's going to be my new action adventure novel that I write. I like it. There you go. Um, all right. Uh, what did I? Oh, just th- we can do this real quick. Artist yeah, Partial. We've, I've mentioned her a couple of times. I think, She's great. On the show. She is a, I, I guess we could refer to her as a semi-professional historian. She mostly, what she gets paid to do uh, as far as history is is research. She and uh, she's a very capable researcher, and people, you know, she works freelance. Uh, but she also has kept a blog. I think she's restarted it. She's she can, she dropped off a of Twitter recently. Keep a pitching in, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. She was on Twitter as Keep a pitching in, and but she had this blog, and it kind of had kind of fallen a little more to the wayside because a lot of what you know she posted just went straight to Twitter. And since she left Twitter, she's revived the blog Keep a pitching in, and it's great. It's uh, just you know. Um, uh, mostly articles about church history, but she covers all sorts of things about church history and church culture. Anyway, she's now a, a columnist with the Trib, which I think is great. I'm glad that she's getting paid to do what she's very, very good at. And, you know, again, as an amateur slash semi-professional historian, she's made great contributions uh, to a lot of stuff that we know about church history. Um, anyway, so everybody, if you have a Trib subscription, you should definitely be checking out Artist Partial's columns. She's great. I'm excited to see her come on board. I think that's a, that's almost that's a kind of a coup for the trip, quite frankly. I mean, this is really smart. You know, you get rid of Kirby, which is great news. Yeah, and then you bring on someone much better. Well, and also, I uh, I don't know if you follow Eli McCann on on Twitter. He is a culturally raised Latter Day Saint, uh, not active in the church. To be, you know, he's yeah. he's a um, he's married to another to a man. He's he's a gay Latter Day Saint. Uh, but he also has, he gained quite a following on Twitter because he, he's a good writer. He tweets, he's a, he's a lawyer by profession. I don't know if he has a specialty, but yeah, he practices law, but he's a very capable writer and he's very entertaining. And he's also recently been given a column by the trip and and he shed some interesting insider slash outsider perspectives on LDS culture and, you know, Utah yeah, culture. Yeah, stuff, right? Anyway. So yeah. So the trip I think has been kind of branching out into these, more cultural, historical, etc. Um, people who you know bring a new voice to the trip, which I think is is great. I think it's beneficial. What was that? What know. was the rim shot? There you go. There we go. Charge. So uh, <laughs> here is a piece by our friends at LDS Living, and I think we should close on this. All right, I'm good with it. So. Uh, the article is called How to Use the Chosen, the show, as you teach the New Testament. Mind you, the, 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 the article is not called Should You Use the Chosen as You Teach the New Testament? It's just telling you how you should go about it. If you haven't been following the Chosen, it's a, a much-loved uh, semi-fictitious depiction of Christ's ministry during New Testament times. It is produced, I believe, by Angel Studios, which is owned by VidAngel, but in partnership with a number of like 
evangelicals and others. It's not produced by the church. Yes, Latter-day Saints are involved. It has actors who are not members of our faith, who if you look like on their IMDb page, they do like other normal acting stuff. It's a, uh, it's very popular though. I mean, I think they show what was, I think uh, a couple months ago, they did like a fathom event thing and you can watch like the first two episodes of it in the, mm-hmm. in the theater. And it was like the number three box office film, quote unquote, for like that weekend, which yeah. was a big thing. The Chosen's a good show. We're not, no one's, we're not going to dispute that. It's a good show. It's a great way to spend your time. I think it's a perfectly safe thing to do as a family. And we're talking about like good content to watch. Like it's a, by all measures, it's a good, well-made, lovingly made show. However, it is not a church produced show. And um, it does take some liberties here and there with just, you know, the life of Christ and some of the characters. Of course it does. It has, it's dramatizing this entire thing. It has to, you know, if you stick to strictly what it says exactly in the New Testament, you're going to have something closer to like the Bible video series, which are great that we made, but those are like four minute vignettes to get through some of these, this great story. So um, my main issue here is we talk a lot about like official church sources and class. And I've been in enough meetings where there's people in leadership concerned about folks bringing like outside stuff into classes. Like, you know, how how dare you use that random study about something that that talk about the church that wasn't commissioned by the church? Like, why are you bringing pew data into this lesson? Like, what's that all about? Well, you never get that. I mean, you know, I've I've taught uh, a lot of Sunday school and elder school lessons and you know, I, I've used outside sources, but, you know, I carefully review them. But, like, you know, I, commentaries that are not, you know, that might be, you know, available at Deseret Book, but not official church manuals or even, you know, you know, uh, commentaries and, and sources and uh, study Bibles that can that give contexts that are um, not published by the church. I think there's a place for all of those things. Yeah, I'm with you there. But, too. I, I'm with you, too. But, but the chosen... <laughs> But I'm trying to like abide by the church's own edicts here. That's what I'm saying. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, yeah. Especially if you're going by the church's own edicts. Yeah. And this is LDS Living, which is owned by the church. Yes. I do believe. Yes. Oh, yes. So, and and again, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean this is official church commentary, but still, in a a publication owned by the church, like you said, they're not starting with the question, should you use the chosen? They're saying, how to use the chosen? It's like, well... Strictly speaking, you should not. <laughs> you expect to see how to use Bible videos of the Book of Mormon series in your class, right. sure, which is which should be painfully obvious because they link to them right in the app, right? And I'm um, hesitant to use those too. I just like some of the uh, we were talking about this this before the show. They're just like it's kind of weird that like Jesus keeps changing throughout the different this, videos. Okay. <laughs> I, I I do not understand it. Considering we made the whole Bible video series, which took a long time, these are multi year endeavors. And we're still doing the Book of Mormon series, but now they've they've you know they've published the clips from Third Nephi, so the Savior shows up. And I'm not, I admit, like I'm not like the biggest fan of like the Jesus they got for the Book of Mormon. It's kind of, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. But it's too cheesy. The point is, well, yeah, why not use the no same one? Like, is this is this not like the shared universe of the scriptures as produced by our church? Like, well, also, admit, my my little my nitpick. I, I think there is a lot that's commendable about the Bible videos. I, I do like um, some of them very much about how they can kind of bring some of it to life, just yeah. to see actors portraying what's being, you know, sp- speaking what's written and doing it in a way that's interpretive and just feels real. But my 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 nitpick is, and it's, they especially do this with some of the Jesus actors, is that there's like this weird, like elevated British accent, yeah. And it's like here, these are like literal salt. I mean, not literal, but you know what I mean. Like these are, you know, the, the origin of the phrase "salt of the earth" comes from these people, <laughs> and they're supposed to be 
you know, from lowly backgrounds, sons of workmen, fishermen, you know, et cetera. And here they, they sound like they're, you know, empire officers working on the Death Star. <laughs> it's like, and in many instances, like, the chosen is almost better in that sense because exactly I think no I love how just, yeah they sound actually, they sound like they have Hebrew like Israeli accents which is and entirely a lot of them, appropriate and a lot of them also look it a bit more that's one thing with our well, the actor our, who plays Peter I believe he actually is Israeli like yeah. you know and so there are they've they gotten people who are ethnically appropriate uh, who are yeah and who speak with a little more you know a little more rustically a little more down to earth anyway so yeah. Why can't we kick that then? That's what I wonder. And our official church productions are still, you know, Jesus is still pretty much a white guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and that's what, one thing that you saw uh, that, that I think is commendable, but may, I mean, if not entirely well executed in the Book of Mormon videos, is that you saw them calling out for uh, Native American and South, you know, like uh, Hispanic that's not the right word, like Latin, Latin. Am, Amerindian? Is that what you're looking uh, yeah, for? Yeah, Amerindian and then Lat, Latino and Latina and also Polynesian. They, they were these big calls for these ethnicities yeah. of actors because they were trying to portray darker skinned people for both Lamanites and Nephites, which would be more accurate. Like yeah. even if the, you know, according to some of the texts in the Book of Mormon, the, the, the Nephites had fairer skin they still would have been much more de- – these are people of a, with an Israeli heritage, you know, a well, I, I, heritage. When, when I read the – we read like the, you know, stories from the Book of Mormon, the classic like, you know, paneled storybook for my kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where they have really cool hats. Yeah, and of course I like – I love to gloss over the part when the Nephites se- separate from the Lamanites and then all of a sudden it shows the Lamanites being look, – they look just, like, they like dark, dark-skinned yeah. like yeah. savages like in their loincloths doing – being yeah. and it shows them like being, shows them being lazy. That book, yeah, yeah, that. And then the Nephites, of course, are like, I mean, some of the depictions of them, I'm like, it looks like some guy they just yanked straight from like a general conference talk in the 80s. Well, and some of them have like dirty blonde hair and stuff. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's like so, there's like no effort whatsoever. So so I, so I was just saying, you know, kudos to the church for, at least in the Book of Mormon videos, making a big effort to recruit darker skinned peoples and peoples that we believe are you know, that have, we have been taught have were descended from the, the Nephites and Lamanites. Like, that's great. But you're right. Like, when we see Jesus, he's generally a pretty, pretty white. I will say there was a, what was it? There was a recent video where, and it's one of the newer Jesuses, and he, he had a very down-to-earth way of speaking. And at first it kind of threw me because I was like, oh, he kind of sounds like he's from like Laguna Beach or something. <laughs> but like, Yeah, brah. Yeah. I mean, not <laughs> quite like that, but like he just had this very casual like – I don't know, but like I liked it because I was like, this feels a little bit more like a personable, down to earth, not above you with my elevated accent kind of a Jesus, and I and I like that. But he was also very, very white. Um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, you should not be using the chosen because it's so, so- the main thing to me is that it's highly fictionalized. Like I think with the Jesus, the character of Jesus, and you know, you still see a little liberties taken here and there like you know they show him like working as a kind of a handyman you know t- t- freelance take a job here and there a carpenter to get by and like okay that's that's definitely uh you know some creative liberty but all of the apostles we know nothing about these people we know out of the original 12 we know the most about peter and we still know nothing about him james and, and john so, tight again and we know yeah. a bit about them. We know their parent, their their father's name. We know what they did for a living. We know a little bit about their personalities, but we have just next to no background. And so they've taken a lot of creative license to give 
each of the apostles some background and some personality and some just experiences that bring them to where they are. And I love that because again, it helps kind of make things come to life. It makes things more relatable. It when they, I love the way they tell these stories and show Jesus developing and ga- his gathering and you know developing his teachings, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's a wonderful show. I highly recommend it to everybody who's interested. But I would never use it in a Sunday school context because yeah, I mean, it's this- just full of too many things. It's like using the work and the glory to teach church history. Don't do it because there's just <laughs> too much fiction. And there was, dec- there was a good decade there where there were members of the church who thought the Steed family was like a historically real family. And they, you know, they'd show up at church history sites and be like, well, where did the Steeds live? You know, I'm like, they didn't live anywhere because they weren't real. So <laughs> I don't know. It's just a, like you said, it's a weird article because it's like, here's how to use it. And I'm like, no, no, no. Here's why you shouldn't use it. That's what the article should be called. Here's why you shouldn't use the chosen. In fairness, because there's the last section is actually called "How to Use Video Clips from the Chosen." It's like, oh my gosh, there's uh, do not. Fa- in some fairness, they do lead off and say you could show a video clip and then ask people to sort of like read the scriptures and say, okay, what does the scripture say and what was actually different in here? Why do you think the directors made the decisions they did? You only how have forty five minutes to teach this lesson. Don't you, do that. How would you film this scene differently? No, no. The problem is you have forty five minutes to teach this lesson. See, this speaks to the problem with our two hour block and how we've been so obsessed with leaving 50 minutes for our lesson. We don't need to pad the time, people. We really just need 35-minute lessons and then we move on with our lives. No one needs to be an elder's corn for 50 minutes. I mean, no one needs that. It's just it's just not- I see what you're saying, but yeah. but my, but my like from the perspective of a, a former <laughs> gospel doctrine teacher, I, I found my, my class time precious yeah. because, you know, by the time everybody comes and sits down and everything, yeah, you've got more like 35, you know, ish minutes left. And it's like- I'm not going to do a, a, a new media film analysis in comparison with and the that's scriptures. That's the weirdest part because what, what do you gain spiritually if you break down and say, what, how would, what would you do differently? How would you do this differently if you were directing? I'm like, what does that have no. to do with my understanding of the scripture let's and my just relationship go, with Christ? Like, no. Let's look at the words that Jesus spoke and talk about those and ignore comparisons with <laughs> film or whatever, like you know, directorial choices, script choices, whatever. Like, uh, no, 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 no. Like there's so much great content to cover and, you know, and I, like I said, I'm all for bringing in other sources, you know, to give historical context, to give uh, commentary, to give perspectives. But I think, you know, taking a, a highly fictionalized film adaptation and making it a part of your lesson is like, there's no place for that. In, not in my classroom if I'm teaching anyway. Amen, brother. But Did I'm a, I'm an activity days leader, so this doesn't come Aww. up. <laughs> it is fun. Um, it is fun. You know, I uh, I think we've done a good job burning plenty of bridges tonight. Really, just hating on lots of people. So I, I I've appreciated the time. You know, here we we've but covered there was great lo- there was, But there was love in our hate. There was yeah, love in our hate. Yeah, we've done great things, Jared. This has been terrific. What a fun time. <laughs> I hope Kurt <laughs> brings us back soon. You're gonna think again about having me on, Kurt Frankham. We'll see. If- so this coup, I guess, was un- unsuccessful. Ten I don't think we're says, taking over. Ten bucks says this article, this episode never sees the light of day. <laughs> and there's just going to be like some other random episode that Kurt scrambles to put together tomorrow. And that's yeah. what's happen. Or it's highly edited. And there's just like, it's it's a 15 minute, just really just bare bones conversation <laughs> of like three things that we mentioned. Well, it's like, hey, a temple in Puerto Rico. That's super, super, super cool. I never oh. watch R-rated movies. Absolutely we, not. And you have to say- We love Sister Hills. The end. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, folks, I, I believe uh, Patreon's still a thing. So if you go to this patreon.com slash this week in Mormons, Kurt is actually way better than I ever was at trying to offer up 
forms of exclusive or early content for supporters on Patreon. So if you want to go in there and kick in a couple bucks a month, you know, it helps the overall project do its thing. I think you could go to thisweekinmormons.com. I don't know if they're like writing articles there. I don't think they are. I think they're just publishing the posts. So you can still go there. And of course, follow the show on, on social media, primarily on Facebook. You can if you want to be on Twitter, but then you're like on Twitter and, you know, you know, the book of Musk, as it were. <laughs> the book of Musk. <laughs> That's the other. Oh, man, you have three great titles for this episode. The book of Musk. Can we, we, we could do a whole episode on how the book of Boba Fett was an absolute disaster, but that's a whole other thing. That's uh, there was one episode that was, or two episodes that was basically just uh, episodes of The Mandalorian yeah. that were pretty good. Andor, though? Oh, my gosh. I finally watched Andor. Andor. So good. And no one knew about it. It's so Oh, my so gosh. Good. It's the best Star Wars we've had since Rogue One. And that's the best Star Wars that we've had since The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, like Andor <laughs> so. came out with such less fanfare than all the other, than like Obi-Wan and Boba Fett. Andor is the best thing they've done. Like, oh, I down. love it. I love okay. it. I'm so excited that we're getting another season of that. Anyway. Well, that's good. I'm also excited about the restored gospel and to be a member of the church. So thanks for listening, everybody. It's been real. <laughs> Great to catch up with all of you and hope you have a fantastic time for your week. Whenever this is live, I don't know these things. Anyway, Jared, it's good seeing you, man. Thanks for doing good to see you too. Me. Thanks for thanks for asking me back for your comeback, your brief comeback episode. Don't call it a comeback. All right, folks. <laughs> for Jared, I'm Jeff. I'm going to do my old sign off. You be well, be holy, and be happy. This has been Twim. Bye bye. <laughs>